This is the politics of everything, and I'm your host, Amber Danes. Welcome to the podcast where we want to discuss the politics of everything from money to motherhood, nutrition to narcissism, startups to secularism, the environment to equality, and much more. Our guests are experts in their field or topic of choice, even if you've not yet heard their name. This is a bipartisan podcast. So while we love exploring varied views and get a buzz from a healthy debate, by no means is this a one-sided forum for any one political view. So please listen up and enjoy the politics of everything. Today's guest, Taryn Williams, is one of Australia's most prolific entrepreneurs in the tech startup and media industry. She's the CEO and founder of The Right Fit and Wink Models. With over 15 years' experience in the world of modelling, media and advertising, Taryn is an industry game changer and someone who has pushed the disrupt button even on her own business. The Right Fit is Taryn's online influencer and talent platform used by major advertising agencies and brands to find the best and brightest talent for their jobs. Brands using the platform include Toyota, Menelog and LG. While Taryn continues to oversee the Wink model operation, her focus is firmly set on building the right fit into a global platform that will transform the creative industry and the talent that work within it. She's a regular presenter and commentator on the tech industry, entrepreneurialism and business and sits on two boards. She's got a string of awards and accolades, including being named a finalist in the B&T Hot 30 Under 30, B&T Women in Media, Smart Company 30 Under 30, and Australian Institute of Management and Women's Agenda Emerging Entrepreneur of the Year. I'm so delighted to enlighten myself and put you all in the spotlight as we chat to her about the politics of influencers. Good morning, Taryn. Good morning. Thank you for the intro. What an introduction. How have you fitted all that into your young young career? Oh, God, I wish I could say I was young. <laughs> I'm exhausted listening <laughs> to you say it. <laughs> I was going to say you must have started working when you were 12. <laughs> so going back into your childhood, growing up, did you always want to be in business or did you have a different dream as a kid growing up? Oh, look, I don't think um, anyone really knows when they're a kid what they're going to be. I mean, people always ask, you know, whether entrepreneurs are born or made. And I guess I always lived pretty unconventionally and um, was was pretty happy to challenge the status quo from a, a really young age. So I think for me, I probably wasn't going to have a traditional nine to five job. So yeah, look, I don't think I uh, personally set out to run my own business and um and start an agency at such a young age, but here we are. Absolutely. So I'm going to ask the question you've probably been asked a million times before, but I don't know this and many listeners won't. How did you actually break into modelling and what did you discover about the industry that then led you to set up Wink Models, which was your own agency over 11 years ago with just 30K behind you? What what was sort of that transition period for you? Yeah, I started modelling myself when I was about 15 and really, really loved the industry. Obviously, it afforded me some amazing opportunities. I got to travel the world and work with amazing, talented, creative people and, and a lot of opportunities. Were you, were you discovered at the shopping mall, like, you know, Kate Moss or something, or was it a bit more sort of uh, formalised than yeah, that? I had a, um, a friend who was modelling and um, and her agent sort of spotted me and said, look, you know, bring your girlfriend in, I think. Oh, nice. And so from there, you know, I, I obviously got to do some pretty incredible things and and it really did make me incredibly grateful for, for the opportunity, but there was a lot, of, a lot of things that was sort of could be done better, shall we say. So a lot of inefficiencies and inequalities in how the industry worked and 
Um, models didn't get paid on time and frequently at all. And there was a lot of sort of negative aspects to the industry that really didn't make sense to me. It was highly unregulated, obviously. And as a young person, you know, you don't really have a lot of power to to sort of fight these things. So um, blissful naivety of a 21-year-old, I was like, right, I'm going to start my own ag- agency and treat everyone with decency and respect and and really be on, on both parties' sides. So really for our clients, making sure that they were having a great experience and that they knew we were on our team, on their team to to get a great outcome. And then for our talent, you know, making sure that they felt supported and that they were paid on time. So we paid all of our models within seven days, which we still do to this day. Um, so obviously learned a lot about cash flow management very, very quickly. Going on to the topic of influencers, how do you define an influencer for someone who doesn't know? And can anybody with a specialist expertise become one or do you need to be like a Kardashian with like 50 billion followers? What's your sort of definition of an influencer? this really preconceived idea that um, influencers are only on social platforms or, or and within that only on specific social platforms like in, uh, Instagram or Snapchat or YouTube. But influencers are really so much more than that. I mean, it's really anyone who's got the power to affect decisions of others. So that can be uh, a journalist, it could be a professional athlete, it might be someone with a niche specialist skill like a doctor. Um, so anyone with that sort of authority and knowledge um, that's got a trusted relationship with their audience. So whether that's face-to-face or whether that is on a social channel, whether that's LinkedIn, long-form blog content. Um, so it's sort of thinking about influences a little bit more holistically um, perhaps than than just, um, I guess, the general idea that they're, yes, gorgeous people with lots and lots of followers on on a particular channel. Absolutely. And I think perhaps you're helping to redefine that in some ways because I think when influences first came out, it was definitely the former, you know, it was people with lots of followers who had a bang and bod and, and lots of opportunities to show off some products. So I think it's great that the industry is evolving and probably being taken a little bit more seriously perhaps by brands, which is what what the right fit is all about. Yeah, and we've sort of always said, you know, influencers have always been around. Brands have just engaged with celebrities and above-the-line campaigns or um, had brand ambassadors um, or engaged, you know, top-tier celebrities or even use journalists. I mean, you look at some of the stuff that happened with uh, radio announcers a few years back. So influencers have always existed. It's just as, you know, the medians start to change and as brands are spending more on online marketing and more on social channels to get cut through, obviously the location of those influencers have changed as well. Totally. So I'm really um, intrigued because you really disrupted your own business model in some ways when you came up with the right fit because a modelling agency might be where people will traditionally go as a, as an agency or perhaps as a, a big company to find the right brand ambassador, if you like. So how did you decide that that was a worthy exercise and really which businesses become more successful? Oh, so they're very different beasts. And yeah, so so the right fit sort of evolved out of a platform that I built for Wink about five years ago. So I built an end-to-end onboarding calendar management and payroll integration software because we have 650 models um, at Wink Australia-wide. So managing those people on a day-to-day basis and allowing that business to scale really needed some sort of infrastructure. And, and there wasn't anything available off the shelf. So um, I built a custom system that just really allowed us to streamline the sort of management of our talent and their castings and um, bookings and their payments um, in a really efficient and streamlined way. And I just really loved um, building a tech platform. I really enjoyed solving business problems using technology. So I got to the end of that build and it was sort of while our industry was was ripe for disruption. You know, there was this move towards smaller bits of digital snackable content um, and brands needing to feed these 
always on social channels and and that sort of meant that there was a, a real need for people to be able to find and engage with different types of talent as well. So, you know, whether that might be My Kitchen Rules contestants or it might be drone videographers. Um, so I really thought that there was an opportunity if we could safely and streamline that process for brands um, and for talent to be able to find all of the creative needs um, their talents might have in one place. So you can now find models and actors and photographers and videographers and bloggers and content creators all in one place at the right fit um, to really create the volume of content that brands uh, need these days. And so, of course, you've had to skill up in the tech side of the business more than ever. How have you found the best way to do this if it's not your background? Like what's been some of your hacks to kind of make this happen? Is it about getting the right people, about knowing enough yourself? How have you really done this? Yeah, and look, it's definitely an intimidating process, of course, for a non-technical founder. Surrounding yourself with great people, I think, is the key. I've got an amazing mentor um, who's really been instrumental in helping me build a really, really great team. And then, of course, trying to upskill yourself as quickly as possible. I've done, you know, hundreds of courses at Academy XI and General Assembly and hours of reading online and, um, you know, short courses on the internet as well to just make sure that I'm making informed decisions Um you know, it is a tech business um, at its heart. So I need to make sure as the CEO that I'm, you know, understanding. And also that, you know, my time is best spent. You know, there's no point in me going and learning how to code today. That's not the best use of my skills. Um, but being able to make informed decisions and being able to hire people that can, can do those things and understanding basic system architecture and things like that, I think is really important. Absolutely. So have you sought external venture capital or similar funding in this process? And what's been that what's that been like? Does it make you feel like you're able to grow the business and you're happy to do that? Or is there a sense of loss of control, which is that sort of founder's syndrome, which sometimes happens when you love your business so much and you are actually handing it over in a way because you've got people to answer to that have helped fund it? Yeah, I mean, we have fantastic investors. Um, we've done two rounds of funding. Um, I made a decision pretty early on that I think marketplaces are a winner-takes-most approach and we knew that if we were going to grow at the speed that we needed to grow to really get sort of market traction here in Australia and then quickly expand overseas, we would need capital to do that. Um, so, we yeah, we, we raised much capital funds pretty early in the piece and it's fantastic. I mean, we made a really, really clear decision to only take investment from people that were... Um, a value add to the business and who brought skills outside of just a cash injection. So it meant that we have a fantastic sounding board of advisors that we can go to to help solve particular problems or to to unlock contacts and things like that. So, yeah, it's been, I mean, obviously it's a um, time-consuming and exhausting process running, raising capital. Absolutely. I can imagine running around doing that. And I, I guess for you, I mean, have you felt like it's given you freedom in a way or has it sort of felt like more work in, in some ways once you get the money even because you've obviously got um, more accountability in many ways? You're playing a bigger game. Yeah, it's definitely a bigger game, of course. I mean, you can grow a, a beautiful little lifestyle business if you want. That's definitely a different type of business. Um, and I've got one of those. You know, I've got a very successful business in Wink that grew very organically and had beautiful year-on-year -year growth. And um, and that's a very different kind of business to growing a high-growth tech company that intends on expanding internationally. So, you know, with the... Um, with the with the wins comes all the pressure as well. So, you know, that that is what it is. And and I think you have to make a conscious decision about the type of business that you want to go. 
Absolutely. No, I totally hear you on that. So how important is educating brands and companies about the power and the pitfalls of influencers in this process? And maybe can you give us a little example of when it's proven to be a challenge and how you've pushed ahead with maybe a bigger company who this is their first rodeo, if you like, with with influencers and you're kind of teaching them how different it might be to a traditional campaign? I have to say we're actually probably pretty lucky in um, we get to work with some of the you know best and brightest brands and, and advertising agencies and digital strategy agencies. So most of them actually have a really fantastic understanding of the power of influencers. I mean, they're, that's obviously just a very small subset of what we do at The Right Fit. Um, but even the, the way that they're engaging with influencers now is fantastic, you know, incorporating them into above-the-line campaigns and shooting them in TV commercials and and making them hero sort of ambassadors for the brand. I think we've really evolved from those early days of, you know, I, I guess an ad hoc post of someone holding a protein shake and spruiking <laughs> into a much more cohesive strategy. Um, so it's really fantastic seeing the ROI that brands are getting on the back of that. You know, there's stats like, you know, $6.50 return for every $1 invested um, in influencer marketing. You know, there's some incredible statistics coming out of this industry at the moment. So it's um, it's really interesting. I think there's, there's definitely um, an education piece at play there. And I think that that's, um, you know, throughout the industry, um, the change in PR and Obviously, with the advent of new social channels and new features like IGTV within those social channels, it's definitely something that brands um, can struggle to keep up with. You know, the industry as a whole evolves so quickly. But I think, you know, we, we are seeing so many fantastic opportunities come out of that, that brands can really craft a, an engaging strategy um, and story online and communicate with their customers and potential customers in a really authentic way. Totally. I totally, I can see that every day now. We're just watching the way campaigns have evolved with brands and brands have evolved with campaigns. It sort of feels quite a symbiotic relationship in many ways and it kind of works perfectly with the way in which the world is moving for sure. So do you think some campaigns work better with an influencer versus a traditional celebrity model ambassador and why is that so? Look, I don't think so. I think there's this, uh, again, a preconceived idea that, you know, if you're a beauty brand or a fashion brand or, you know, a fitness brand or whatever, that, you know, influencer marketing will perform better for you. But again, it's really about thinking much more broadly about what influencer marketing is. You know, we, we do a lot of work with superannuation brands and banks and New South Wales Health, and they're all engaging with influencers and content creators and brand ambassadors. So, I really think that it's not about, it's about thinking about, you know, who, what, what are you trying to achieve and then finding the right person who, who is a voice of authority in that space and then identifying what the right channel is. Is it long-form blog content? Is it LinkedIn? Is it Snapchat? Is it Twitter? Is it Pinterest? You know, there's so many different mediums and channels. Is it still, you know, traditional print media that that person is going to be influential in? So, um, I definitely don't think that it works better for any particular industry than others. There's obviously some that play to more visual channels um, like Instagram um, and some that perform better in, in longer form uh, blog content or, you know, if you're a B2B decision maker um, that, it's, that you're trying to target, then, yeah, potentially it's, it's LinkedIn or something like that. So I think it's just about identifying and that goes, you know, with not just with influencer marketing but should be the first port of call for for any advertising before you, you know, take on any sort of marketing tactic is what are you actually trying to achieve and who are you trying to speak to and, and how can you add relevance to their life? 
So it's really about defining the strategy well before you even get to the campaign, obviously. But in addition to that, how do you measure that return on investment? I'm just curious. I mean, I my background is media and PR and, you know, the really old-fashioned way of measuring PR doesn't really exist anymore about advertising space, for example. So what is it with this sort of world that, that people look for when they get to the end of the campaign and they want some some sort of metrics on success? Yeah, and it, again, it really depends on the campaign. So it can be anything from, you know, trying to shift brand sentiment to, um, you know, just trying to be associated with some of these top-tier influencers who really are like a celebrity. Um, some are very much more, you know, a specific call to action to drive sales of a, a particular product. Um, some are just general brand awareness. So it really does depend on um, what the heart of the campaign is um, as to what the ROI is going to look like um, and how you would measure that, um, obviously, depending on what you're trying to achieve. So, you know, there's fantastic tools now available that make it really easy to track um your ROI, obviously, internally in the platform um, of Instagram, you can see reach and engagement and things like that. But um, obviously, you know, a big part of what brands are trying to do is make broader, more cohesive strategies. So um, as opposed to just saying, you know, we did this one post on this one particular social channel and it got, you know, 50 likes or whatever. Um, I think that they're much more savvy than that now. And they're, what they're really looking for is great engaging content and, and multi-channel platform plays. Um and strategies that a consumer can have multiple different touch points um, that are actually really going to cut through and, you know, make that thumb stop in content where they're not going to just scroll past it in their feed or, um, you know, that it's a, a really sales-driven tactic, that it really does add value um, to their brand and position them as a, a voice of authority or a market leader. Absolutely. So get your crystal ball out now, Taryn. Um, where do you think the influencers industry is heading in the next few years? You're obviously at the forefront of it and at the coalface every day. And how will the right fit evolve to stay ahead of the pack? Because it must be becoming a particularly competitive environment, um, if, particularly if you want to go global. Yeah, I mean, and influencers is just such a small subset of what we do at the right fit. I mean, obviously, we have everything from celebrities to makeup artists to uh, long-form content creators and videographers and um, actors. So, you know, and what we see is brands engaging with influencers as part of that broader strategy approach. So we're not, I suppose, a, a pure play influencer platform at heart. And the platform is yes. a, a social backbone. So even if you are engaging a photographer, you can see their social reach. Um, and we do see that, you know, we see a number of brands finding that more and more important when they're engaging with uh, makeup artists and photographers as part of their campaign they want to know that that oh isn't that interesting yeah I find that fascinating that little nuance that the fact that the people if you like who are a little bit more behind the scenes are just as important yeah definitely and I completely understand it from a brand's perspective and that you know if they can unlock these sort of additional eyeballs and also that that person has obviously built a trusted audience in that space so it sort of gives reassurance to a brand that okay well if, if these people like and follow this person because they are a voice of authority in fashion photography, then they're going to add some kudos to my brand and they also must know what is relevant um, to, you know, target the type of people that we're trying to speak to. So so I do think that that's really interesting. Um, what do I think is going to happen next? I mean, I think there's obviously going to be new social platforms um, and I think obviously so many new features within those social platforms. So I think it will be interesting to see uh, how brands approach IGTV in Australia. I think there's a few doing it well and, and I think, you know, that's another channel for 
brands to really unlock long-form storytelling um, and build a really trusted relationship um, with their potential consumers. So I think that'll be really interesting. Yeah, I think, I mean, I, I just think there's so many exciting ways that brands can approach this. I mean, Pinterest is incredibly powerful. We probably don't see many brands engaging with that in Australia. We do see quite a few do, doing podcasts now, which again, are really another lovely way to tell long-term stories. So look, I think it's going to continue to evolve and adapt, um, I think, as, as these platforms make changes as well. So obviously, with everything that happened with Facebook and Cambridge Analytica, I think, you know, there's going to be brands that are trying to find new ways to work with these platforms um, to make sure that they're having authentic conversations. So yeah, I think it's going to continue to evolve. It's obviously such a fresh and new, you know, market. So I think uh, change is always good. I think it will be exciting and I think it will be exciting to see how um, content creators sort of adapt um, as well. Absolutely. Well, it sounds like the future is bright anyway, which is always a good thing. So who have been your most special mentors? You mentioned you have one that you regularly meet with, but sometimes there are people along this journey who particularly stand out and they're not always well known. Who are they and what have they taught you about success and life? Oh, gosh, yeah, I'm really fortunate that I've had, you know, so many different mentors um, over the years and people that have just really shaped my journey. Um, I'm also a big one for putting my hand up and, and admitting the things that I don't know and, and asking for help. And I think that that really does make a difference. I think if, you know, if you're willing to sort of reach out to someone cold and say, look, you know, I've seen what you do and I really admire your journey and can I have, you know, 15 minutes of your time to grab a quick coffee and, and pick your brain on something, I think it really does unlock um, people that can can help your journey um, and get you there quicker and save you from sort of making some of the same mistakes that they've made along the way. So, I mean, gosh, I've got so many different people from different skill sets and backgrounds, um, from people that I work with day to day in the business and, um, you know, my GM at Wink who teaches me things every day, you know, through to my publicist, um, you know, through to people who I sit on boards with who, you know, just can unlock particular problems that, you know, can really shift your way of thinking about something. So, and these shift and change over time as well as you're, you know, got unlocking different problems. Absolutely. That's important to know who you need when and when that sort of relationship may in fact need to sort of wind up or that formal mentoring might need to sort of transition into something else. Yes, definitely. So final question, final takeaway, what's your best tip for anyone out there wanting to embrace the politics of influencers? Gosh, I think probably sit down, obviously sit down first and foremost and work out what you're trying to achieve and then which type of channel and which type of influencer is going to be most suitable for the type of campaign that you want to run. So um, before you get get into this um, idea of looking for someone with a particular number of followers or a particular engagement rate or anything like that, really stop and think about how you can build a great strategy, hopefully, you know, across a multi-channel platform approach. And and how are you going to do that with someone who either works across all platforms or breaking that down into subsets of people that work on individual platforms? And then, yeah, how are you going to track the ROI? What What is the, what is it that you're trying to achieve? Is it, you know, positive brand sentiment? Is it brand awareness? Is it promoting new products or features or services um, because then you can make a really informed decision and you can also brief the influencer really clearly once you get to that point. Um, It's really hard for an influencer to add value to your brand if they don't know what it is that you're trying to achieve and they obviously have spent a lot of time in in creating and curating their audience and, and their channels. So 
um, I think working with them in a really cohesive way to to find nice and natural stories within that um, instead of it being this um, sort of contrived campaign with with forced messaging, um, work with them collaboratively to, to find an angle that's going to be mutually beneficial for both of you. That sounds awesome. I've learned so much today, Taryn. Um, if you do want to connect further with Taryn Williams and The Right Fit, there will be some details on our show notes. Until next time, keep well. Thanks for listening today. If you've enjoyed the politics of everything, we thrive on feedback. So please add a short review and share the podcast with your network and your friends and family. I'm also always on the hunt for fabulous new guests. So if you've got a view to share and an idea how to get our listeners excited, please email me at amber at bespokecoms, that's B-E-S-P-O-K-E-C-O-M-M-S dot com dot A-U and we'll be sure to get back to you. Until next time.